Okay. So I'm here today and have the pleasure of talking with uh, Dr. Mark Gladwin, who is the chair of the Department of Medicine um, at the University of Pittsburgh and the director of the Pittsburgh Heart, Lung, and Blood Vascular Medicine Institute. Um, he is a former chief of pulmonary allergy critical care medicine uh, division at the University of Pittsburgh, was uh, an NIH branch director, um, and uh, we're happy to have him join us today on the ATS podcast, Breathe Easy for Fellows. So thank you for joining us, Dr. Gladwin. Thanks. I really appreciate this opportunity. Um, so some of you may know Dr. Glenn from his uh, many publications. I did a quick PubMed search, and I showed 363 publications. Your Pittsburgh website describes over 150 peer-reviewed manuscripts, 25 human subject protocols, and more than 1,000 patients that were enrolled when you were uh, NIH Clinical Center uh, branch director. And, of course, some of you may know uh, you as an author from Clinical Microbiology Made Ridiculously Simple. So I remember studying that when I was a medical student with my wife. So uh, we're, again, really honored to have you join us today. Thank you. Um, so you, I think, uh, are someone that's unique in that you wear uh, and have a lot of roles uh, as both a leader, um, somewhat of an administrator. You're obviously um, a physician and, uh, and a distinguished researcher. So when someone comes up to you who's not in medicine and they sort of ask you what you do, um, what do you tell them? And does that depend on sort of the day that you're having? Uh, because that happens to me sometimes. I usually just tell them I'm an intensivist and I, and I do some research. Yeah, well, well, first of all, I'd, I'd say that, you know, my identity, um, and this is something that I, 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 I focus on and try to m remain grounded in terms of priorities on, is that my identity is a physician scientist. So I, I feel that's critical to maintain my knowledge of medicine, although it becomes important as you get busier to focus on areas that you can remain um, or, or, or maintain a deep knowledge of. So I've focused on critical care medicine and focused on pulmonary vascular disease. Um, and so to do that, I still do six weeks in the ICU. Um, I try to rotate with every fellow, a pulmonary fellow in our program. But that ICU time uh, gives me the opportunity to stay up to date, uh, to maintain skills and procedures, and to really know the house staff and interact with our fellows. I also do a report, a, a chair's ICU report every Tuesday morning from 7 to 8.30 where I hear about the admissions over the night and have about 20 minutes to talk about case-related uh, teaching or focus on case-related teaching. So, and, and I try to maintain reading in that space. Um, I think it's really vital that, that we understand what our identity is. And I think the, the physician piece of what we do informs our thinking and discovery in the science front. The second piece is science, and that is extremely important to me. I still run a very large lab. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I've been continuously funded by the NIH for, for, for research on pulmonary vascular disease, transfusion medicine biology, sickle cell disease, nitric oxide, vascular biology. And so uh, that is very important. And, and, you know, as I get busier, I have to really organize my time to make sure that I'm spending enough time reading, interacting with my postdoctoral fellows and clinical fellows and uh, research uh, assistant professors in my lab. And I really do that by protecting time, you know, so protecting time for weekly lab meetings, weekly clinical trials group meetings, uh, weekly or biweekly meetings with uh, individuals in my lab team. And then beyond that, the rest of my day, you know, I like to say is not my own. I, I'm heavily scheduled, uh, you know, because obviously as a chair, you have to meet with your division chiefs, meet with your faculty, 
um, attend conferences, um, and it really requires uh, organization, juggling, and a constant reassessment of priorities and efficiencies to be able to pull pull that off. You know, leadership requires um, a a constant contact uh, with your faculty um, and with division chiefs and leaders of of the faculty and. And so that that is kind of an art that I'm I'm continually you know trying to re re engineer and and struggle to master. Right. I mean, it sounds like uh, with the the number of responsibilities you have, you're, you're pulled in many different directions. But uh, as you said, you prioritize your identity as a physician scientist and let that um, dictate things a little bit. Um, for for fellows like myself who have completed our clinical time and you know for the first time uh, in you know who knows ten fifteen years, uh, no one's told me where to show up in the morning. Um, and I, I was just wondering what what advice you'd have for fellows who are uh, in that space where where really we need to self organize our time. Um, and you you I think been dealing with this for a long time. But how would you are are there practical pieces of advice in terms of you know spend half your day doing experiments, spend half your day thinking or writing, um, or or what would you what would you advise us on uh, as far as that goes? Yeah, that's. A great question. It's probably one of the most important questions. And I like to tell people that we, as physicians in training, we are very programmed and regimented. And if you think about it, from the day you started med school until you finish your clinical requirements as a fellow, you almost know what you're doing every month ahead of time. You are uh, very disciplined. You show up on time. You answer your pager. You're always available and you're really doing a, a job despite the fact that you're a student um, and a trainee. And then you enter this very nebulous, unstructured world of research where suddenly nobody's expecting you to be in a particular place. You're the master of your own time. You're really building your own um, expertise. And I like to tell people that you're making a transition from doing a job or being a student um, to developing a career. And much like uh, getting an MBA or a law degree, uh, what you end up doing as a physician scientist or academic physician uh, is is much more dependent on on your success and what you achieve during these nebulous years than than what everybody does in sort of the cookie cutter training programs that that follow ACGME rules. So so this is a really important question, a critical period of transition. And so, so I, I, you know, often um, present the, these um, sort of preparing for research talks, which I've presented for years at the NIH and, and at Pittsburgh. And, and I like to point out a few things. You know, one is that you have to work hard and be disciplined. The same discipline you apply to medical training, um, you really have to apply to research. And I, and I talk about a, a six-hour, two-hour rule. And my six-hour, two-hour rule is every day you should write or read for two hours. And, and people say, well, I have nothing to write when I start. Well, start writing the method section of what you're doing. Start writing a review article about the disease or the topic you're working on. Start um, writing as soon as you have results. So every day you write. And then read. You know, knowledge is power. You have to read. If you're doing cell culture and molecular biology, read. Read your Guyton textbook on molecular biology or, or other advanced textbooks on molecular biology. You know, study CRISPR-Cas9 technology, study PCR, study um, B 
because as you develop that knowledge, um, it becomes more fun because you're the master of that universe. So, and then for six hours a day, so again, the two hour, six hour rule for six hours a day, you do experiments, you generate data, whether it's clinical experiments, database analysis, or basic science, molecular biology experiments, you have to do experiments every day. Um, and I think applying that discipline to your daily life, once you've picked your projects is pretty critical. Now, the other thing I tell people, simple things, you know, avoid email. You know, email, texting, our cell phones, these are very distracting. And during that six-hour, two-hour, you have to focus. So you've got to avoid email. Um, and, uh, you know, those are some of the fundamentals that I talk about. But uh, I think it's, it's a tough transition for people, and you have to maintain discipline. No, I think that's extremely helpful. And, and even just hearing a, a, a rule, you know, this sort of six-hour, two-hour, giving someone who's had a structured life for so long just a slight template to follow, I think, can be very helpful um, uh, so that we sort of have, you know, a, like you said, a little bit of a transition. Um, kind of moving forward a little bit, you know, again, like you said, developing uh, this unstructured time is, is where we're transitioning from, you know, a job, student, to a career. Um, and so you are someone who is at uh, the the top of the the chair of uh, the chair of Department of Medicine. What um, what things are you looking for in in new hires? Um, what skills that are are unique are you looking for people to bring to your institution that that separate them from others? Sure. So so I tend to hire either clinicians, physician scientists, physician educators, or scientists. You know, pure scientists, PhD scientists, and and I think. What you look for is the same with with different applications. Um, you know, I, I really look for passion, that people have a deep knowledge of the content of what they want to do and a real passion for what they do. And I'm sensing, you know, are they networked in that space? Are they known in that space? Have they produced and published in that space? Are they... Um, um, can you can you read in them that that this is the thing for them? And you know, if they're an intensivist and they want to be a full time clinician intensivist, are they that best intensivist? The person that knows a deep knowledge of the literature of critical care, deep experience with procedures, they're a little bulletproof in terms of their ability to work hard. And the same thing with the scientists. You know, have they presented at the national meetings? Do they know what's new and exciting in the field? Are they um, enthusiastic about their own work and the promise of their own work and how it will transform the field? So passion. I'm also working, looking for a work ethic and, and drive. You know, in, in, to really succeed in something, it's, it's not the brilliance. It's not the creativity. Um, those things are important, but it's often your ability to get the job done against all odds. You know, if you're going to climb Everest, that's hard work, right? And every paper we publish is like a trip to Everest. And so you're looking for people that have that fortitude to withstand the bumps along the way and have that discipline. Um, so that's another thing I look for. Um, obviously, I'm looking for people that are smart and that are have energy. And But, you know, I'm kind of looking for you know, again, we work in the rarefied world of the top academic medical centers. 
And we're looking for people that are going to inspire trainees, that are going to innovate, that are going to try to change the world around them. And so you're looking for that special person that projects, um, you know, that, that, that dedication, passion, and intelligence, that they have that capability to do that. Right. I think that's, uh, that's completely true. And, and most of us are uh, striving towards that. But as this, you know, unstructured time comes along, we're, we're trying different things. And, uh, but I think having that structure and discipline is, is crucial for any sort of success. Um, yeah, also let, been... let me add that. Let, let me ahead. turn that around really quickly, though, and point out that while that's what I'm looking like, looking for, you know, I think the question for trainees is how do I get there? How do I do that? And Absolutely. You know, I, I, I think it's really important to develop a deep knowledge of the area you're in, um, and that is reading, studying, doing, all the things that we do, whether it's developing a unique skill set in, in the clinic or whether it's developing a deep knowledge and skill set in the science space or an educational front. You just want to develop that deep knowledge and, and that deep skill skill set. The, the other piece of it is learning to communicate. I can't underestimate how important it is to learn to write and to, to write well, write fast, and learn to speak and present. And, and we really work on our fellows. They, we torture them with their research in progress presentations. But I'm always amazed by their first presentation to their last presentation. And part of that is fielding questions with authority and confidence, uh, presenting clearly, um, presenting with enthusiasm. And then the last part of that is networking. You know, people don't realize, but networking is so important, you know, and some of that might be reaching out to a leader in the field or leaders in an area that you want to be in, bringing them to your poster, talking to them, following up with them with a with a humble email and a, a copy of a paper you've published. You know, this networking becomes very important as you develop a career. So things like, you know, communication skills, writing skills, speaking skills, networking, and a deep knowledge of your space. These are things that you can do to position yourself, to project sort of that, that, um, that ideal candidacy to an employer. I think that's extremely helpful. Um, now, I've told so I've been told so those things most of the time you can demonstrate, uh, you know, as you said, with with emails, interactions with folks. Um, in terms of things that people should have and put on their CV, you know, I've been told that publications and grants are really the the currency in academic medicine. Are there other um, things that you would sort of hold up uh, similar to, to to grants and publications that? Uh, people should have on their CV or, or should be able to demonstrate pretty clearly? Absolutely. You know, I think the world's changing now. And, in fact, you know, I have a role as one of the associate editors for the Blue Journal, and um, we don't only look at the impact factor of publications now. We look at the downloads. You know, how how much attention is this work getting? And so I would say the other thing to not forget about is is on a CV is internet-based publications and education content that you create and present. That, you know, that is, is, is the, the, the real new frontier of publication that we live in. Those things, a lot of, you know, people in, in our, our next generation trainees are excelling in that space. So don't forget to highlight that. The other thing is leadership of any form. You know, I'm typically looking for a leader. Um, 
it, it, it often doesn't matter to me if you're a leader in um, education, a leader in information technology, a leader in basic science, a leader in a, cl- in a clinical space, but do you, are you a leader? Are you going to be a leader? And so presenting evidence of leadership, you know, you, you brought up the micro book and I remember I was accepted as a fellow to the NIH uh, like you are. And at the time I came to the NIH, I was committed to learning basic science. And I went to the NIH to, to really study cell and molecular biology after my clinical training, but I had never held a pipette before. And so it was a leap of faith for the faculty there to accept me as a fellow on the promise that I wanted to do basic science. And, and I once asked Henry Mazur, you know, you know, why'd you take me? And, and he said, well, it was clear that you got things done, that you created things. And that book was one example that I was able to get big projects done, even though it had nothing to do with science. And I don't think anybody at that, in that era had read the book, uh, at least in academic leadership. So, so I think, you know, evidence on your CV of leadership, of creation, of productivity in any form is very valuable. But ultimately, if you're passionate about your area and, you know, you're going to succeed. Great, great. Well, Dr. Biden, it has been a real pleasure for me, and I'm sure um, everyone who's, who's listening is going to really uh, gain a lot of benefit from, uh, from right. getting a chance to hear your interview here. Well, thanks, and I really appreciate this opportunity. You know, uh, you know the the fellows in you know are the future of academic medicine, and so this is just a favorite topic of mine. So, thanks for inviting me. Okay, thanks so much, and uh, maybe I'll see you at uh, at ATS. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Make sure you network and meet me. I will.